Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast live, I should say. I'm your host, Matt Pre, aka MMA Lock of the Night, Andrew Boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week we're going over UFC Vegas 33, headlined by Sean Strickland and Uriah Hall. Very much looking forward to this fight, and I can't wait to break it down for you guys. A little bit delayed in terms of the um, the dropping of the podcast and uh, being a little bit further along in the fight week. So uh been an interesting week, let's just put it that way. But luckily, I've been able to get through all my studying, and I am ready to drop my picks for you guys and my predictions for the entire card. Now, first and foremost, shout out to everybody that's up with me on at 1 a.m. on a uh, Friday morning, if that's what you guys want to call it now. So uh, shout out to you guys. Hit that like and subscribe if you guys haven't already. I am going to be dropping this as well on my... Um, on my uh, uh, on my audio platforms as well, since I won't be doing a pre-recorded version of it either. So um, shout out to everybody that's going to be watching, listening, and all that type of stuff. And I wore my lucky champions Raptors hat because today was the uh, NBA draft, or I should say yesterday was the NBA draft. And I'm hoping that our guy, Scotty, what's his name? Scotty Barnes actually uh, pans out to be a solid character for us or a solid player that could potentially take us to another title. But Again, it's just a one guy not getting my hopes up too high for this. And again, I don't follow follow college basketball that closely, so I don't really know who the best guys are out there, but I'm hoping that they made the right decision this time around and pick somebody for us that will uh, translate into a solid, you know, even if they get a very solid role player, I'll be happy with that. So yeah, that's why I'm rocking the Raptors hat today for you guys. Uh, but yeah. We are here to discuss UFC Vegas 33. Uh, quick shout-outs right off the bat to the Patreon members. Shout-out to you guys. We're up to about 425 Patreon members. The number continues to grow. It does take a dip at times, obviously, when I end up having a losing event. But uh, the core group of guys, I'd say there's roughly about 300 to 350 people that just stick around no matter what, uh, just you know, due to their appreciation for your boy and, uh, you know, putting in the work that I put in. So shout out to you guys first and foremost. Link is in the description below if you guys want to hop on there. And shout out to the Discord family over there as too, man. You guys are just absolutely killing it, just staying um just staying consistent and staying active in the discord it's always great to just wake up at random times of the night or just any time of the day and look over and see like fucking 40 to 50 new messages because you guys just stay active in there so shout out to you guys for that uh and then secondly cool bet so obviously i got a shout out to cool bet for supporting your boy on every episode coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks great website great odds you know make some of my bets on there they also allow you to parlay props which is something that not a lot of uh bookies allow you to do so that's so that's a if that's something that's up your alley, Coolbet will definitely allow you to take advantage of that. So definitely go check out Coolbet. Once again, coolbet.com, promo code MMALOTN2. So I'm going to try to keep the interactions on the live chat to a little bit of a minimum this time around. Uh, again, this is going to be on the audio platform as well. I know a lot of people on the audio platform don't really like me kind of meandering through the co comments section to kind of fill up time. So I don't want to spend too much time in there. I will try to look through it and see if there's anything that I need to... Uh, kind of address that would be important for the matchup that I'm actually going over. Uh, otherwise, I do just want to give you guys a quick shout out and, and say what's up to everybody that's already in there and keeping it lit. So I'll try to hop on over to the comment section and say what's up, but we will see um, what it is. My guy ZZMMA right here saying if they still named events, this one will be called Red Flag, and I like that too. I definitely do like that. Um, Let's just quickly see uh, any prices in the chat. 
uh rogue strummer in the chat shout out to you guys genie in the chat uh yeah so i will be going i see my guy liam's picks fights as well as my guy jordan Schiffman in the chat as well too uh yeah, shout out to all you guys. Of even AJ's MMA, it seems like everybody is fucking up at this hour, either tape studying or trying to play some bets. So shout out to you guys. Uh, again, not the normal uh, time for me to 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 be hopping on the live stream, but I still do appreciate everybody doing this damn thing. All right, let's uh, let's get into the podcast here. First and foremost, we usually do the betting recap. So the last uh, last event that we had was UFC Vegas 32. Lock of the night shits the bed. Minus four and a half units on Ian Heine. She honey-dicked me and seemingly a ton of other people as I thought uh, you know he'd be able to go out there and uh, uh, pretty much implement his clinch-heavy and grapple-heavy game against Imovov here. But Imovov did a really good job in terms of nullifying the amount of success that Heinish was having, breaking off, and then just absolutely laying an ass-whooping on him. So Heinish definitely shit the bed there. Definitely uh, blacklisted for me in terms of guys that, you know, you can't really trust to go out there and have consistent performances. You know, having that 1-3 in three record that he had before the Imovov fight, you know, over his last four fights... I gave the credit to the fact that he was fighting guys that were better wrestlers than him. Uh, and now Imovov showing off some great improvements in terms of being able to stay off the cage and nullifying grappling success that was that other fighters were having against him. And then just absolutely opening up on Heinish. You know, even Heinish's cardio kind of surprised me there too that he dropped it the, the way that he did. But is what it is. We live and we learn and we have to move on because if we just stick back in the past... You guys won't be getting UFC Vegas 33 breakdowns or anything like that. So uh, shitty way to lose the lock of the night bet there. But luckily, we stopped the bleeding a little bit with some sharp dog plays here. So uh, first and foremost, uh, Darren Elkins goes out there and gets ass uh, gets his ass handed to for about six minutes. But then he does what Elkins does. And Derek Minner does what Derek Minner does. And that's gas. And luckily for Elkins, he was able to survive a lot of that submission onslaught and uh, go out there and finish, uh, I believe it was closer to the ending of the second round against Minner. Uh, there is going to be another spot on this card that I can't wait to talk about in terms of recency bias as to why I picked El Elkins over Minner uh, last week. And I feel like it's kind of going to be the opposite. You know, I'm I'm saying there's recency bias in the Darren, Darren Elkins and Derek Minner fight due to... Oh, or sorry, uh, with the intention of picking the underdog with, you know, who didn't have the recency bias on him. But there is a fight on this upcoming part of the card that I'm going to talk about later in the card. And I'll, I'll obviously mention it when I, that I talked about it earlier, but it's, you know, recency bias that is, I, in my opinion, slightly negative, but I'm still uh, down to bet on the fighter that has that negative recency bias on it. But we'll talk about that. But yeah, Charles Elkins going out there and doing what Elkins does. And then Paiva cashes half unit plus 220 underdog. Uh, again, yes, that first round should have been a 10-8. That's without, without a doubt. But shout out to Paiva to go out there and still win the second and third rounds and then secure that victory regardless. You know, clear as day, Paiva was the betting side for that fight. Um, people can say what they want about, uh, you know, uh, Phillips emptied his gas tank in round one, which is why Paiva was able to win the next two rounds. Sure, but Paiva survived. Paiva came through and and won the next two rounds. Again, uh, P, uh, I forgot who, uh, I think it was my guy Danny Legs. Shout out to Danny Legs who tweeted something similar like, you know, people that were pissed off about the Phillips decision are, you know, trying to save a losing ticket from a, a push ticket. And I get it. I completely understand that. But Paiva was the right side, and I'm glad that I was on that side for this fight. So, yeah, all in all, minus 2.07 units. What can I say? Ian Heinish at the bed. But hoping that I can turn around for this weekend. Um, 
All right. Again, you guys are going to definitely um, be keeping it lit in the chat. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time just reading to the chat, just because the audio listeners are just like, "Hey, keep talking, bro. Keep 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 on with the podcast." <laughs> James C, I will quickly answer this for you guys. Are going to do the main breakdown, the main of uh, Bellator. Uh, I'm going to be dropping a best bets and props article on my Patreon for the main card of Bellator. I'll be doing that tomorrow afternoon. Uh, and if I have time, I have a pretty busy schedule tomorrow. Uh, I'm doing a, a podcast appearance, and then obviously I'm doing actually I'm doing two podcast appearances, and then obviously my own Ultimate Wayne show that I'm going to be doing later as well. So if I can fit, you know, maybe an hour or so, maybe I'll do a quick live stream to go over Bellator. But um, yeah, I needed to. Um, yeah, focus is UFC for me this week. But again, obviously some great fights on Bellator. All right. Let's move this thing along. First and foremost, we got Phil Rowe going up against Luis Cosi minus four. Or sorry, Orion Cosi. Orion? Orion Cosi. Let's go with Orion Cosi. Minus 145, plus 125 for Fresh Prince. Uh, obviously, you guys can recognize the name Cosi due to uh, Luis Cosi fighting uh, a couple months ago. Actually, it, man, it's been a while now that I'm thinking about it. But it was uh, he, he went out there and absolutely shit the bed as a huge favorite against... Um, Sasha Platnikov, uh, yeah, that was yeah, that was November UFC 255. So it's been a long time since we've seen the, the one of the Kosi brothers in there. Uh, Orion was actually supposed to fight on that card too. I believe he uh, suffered an injury, and then uh, you know now he's back to fight Phil Roke here. Similar fighting styles for both guys. Good, you know, good wrestlers. They have good raw talent. They have some decent power as well. A lot of first round finishes on the records. I think Orion has a little bit more finishes that were you know later on. Obviously his contender series fight against Matt. Dixon where he was able to you know get that late finish with about 20 seconds left um but his regional tape looks sketchy not to mention his level of competition on the regional uh, scene was super sketchy as well you know it seemed like there were certain fights where he was gassing and kind of just going to his back and pulling guillotine and you know, luckily for him, he wasn't finding a very skilled opponent who was able to take advantage of those situations. And I wouldn't even be surprised if there was some, you know, ridiculous backroom stuff going on as well, because it looked like these Kosi brothers were fighting uh, for a hometown promotion that was just all over them. Uh, even through the commentary, it was just clear as day. But um, yeah, I think that Kosi, uh, I think they have solid talent. Uh, both of them, uh, but we'll talk specifically about Orion here. Uh, I think they have good talent, but I think that they're still raw to a certain extent. And even in my previous breakdowns that I've done of Phil Raw, I've said that I feel like he's a little bit raw as well. But I thought we saw some decent things in this fight with Gabe Green, who's just an absolute banshee in terms of just coming forward and chucking bombs. But I think that Kosi is going to struggle a little bit here in terms of closing the distance against Roe and probably just be eating, you know, straights down the middle. Um, I, I like the front kicks that Roe has in terms of kind of maintaining his distance. Obviously, he's going to have a huge reach and uh, uh, height advantage in this fight that he should be able to use uh, utilize pretty well. The the only concern, obviously, Gabe Green was able to kind of exploit it last time was the leg kicks. It doesn't seem like Rode does a good job in terms of uh, checking leg kicks, uh, specifically those calf kicks. Um, Kosi does have a couple kicks in his uh, arsenal, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that I truly leans on. It seems more so, you know, likes to throw those bombs, land a couple takedowns, and go for some submissions. But I think he's going to struggle to do that here against a guy like Phil Rowe. Um, obviously, we've been seeing a ton of love come in for Phil Rowe as uh, the fight week has progressed. He opened up around plus 150, got to about plus 175, and hovered there for a couple of days. And then slowly, the line started to move back in uh, in favor of Phil Rowe here. And once you run the tape, you completely understand why. 
you know, he he does seem to have the slicker boxing here, slicker stand-up, good movement as well. And I think his jiu-jitsu is good enough to kind of keep him out of any big trouble that Kosi will try to put him in early in this fight. And then as the fight starts to wear on, I think that Rose uh, distance striking is going to get the better of Kosi. I think we'll see Kosi start to slow down. And uh, I, I think that he's going to succumb to some of these positions that Rose will be able to put onto him, whether it's grappling, clinching, or even, you know, just staying in the striking realm and just picking him apart from distance. So, yeah, I do like Phil Rowe in this spot. I think he's a solid underdog, one of the def definitely one of the solid, one of the more solid underdogs on this card. And uh, yeah, I think he's a side. Yeah, I'm going to take him to win by decision. I wouldn't rule out a potential round three prop, although Kosi did get a round three finish in his last fight. It almost seemed like his opponent, Matt Dixon, had worse uh, cardio than he did. So um, hopefully Rope can bring uh, a better gas tank to the table, and he could definitely uh, work out uh, Kosi in this fight. But I do like Rowe in this fight. I do think he is a very good uh, underdog for this fight. All right. Uh, again, shout out to everybody that's in the chat here. I, again, I hope there's no chaos or in, any bullshit that's going on in the chat because I'm not going to be monitoring it too much uh, unless somebody's completely spamming the shit out of it. Obviously, I'll be able to see that, but be nice in there. That's all I'm going to say. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Or, or sorry, uh, I do have Roe either by round three finish or a decision, but I do like Roe in the spot. I do want to quickly actually look at Roe's decision line here. Roe to win by decision plus 360. Not too bad of a spot. Not too bad of a spot. Might have to take a little bit of a sprinkle myself. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Ronnie the Heat Lawrence going up against Trevin. Five-star Jones, I believe his name is. Jones, once again, the favorite, but not as big of a favorite as he was in his first two UFC fights. If you guys remember, he was a huge underdog to uh, Timur Valiev in, in that uh, fight where Valiev hurt him numerous times in that first round, almost put him out through everything in the kitchen sink. Yet, our guy, what's his name? Um fucking what's that what's that referee's name that wants to see people die <laughs> uh chris tione chris tione chris tione is like oh jones isn't dead yet let's keep going and then uh tomorrow volley have definitely learned a very valuable lesson that night which is don't throw the kitchen sink and you know try to conserve your energy a little bit more because it seemed like he was uh pretty gassed come that second round and can you blame him he was so close to finishing jones but just couldn't get him out of there uh so uh value of obviously huge drop off in his cardio and his activity uh in the second round and jones was able to capitalize and put him away there uh and then in the next fight you know uh very close first round against mario bautista bautista doing some good stuff with his footwork and, and his striking and then in the second round we see jones catch him with the beautiful i believe it was an uppercut lead uppercut for, uh with his power hand because i think he was in his opposite stance and uh just absolutely levels mario bautista follows up with some ground and pound and gets him out of there I even said in the lead up to that fight for the breakdown for that specific fight, I truly thought the only way Jones wins this fight is by a Hail Mary KO. And it worked out for him. The guy has some power. The guy has some resiliency. And that's something that we definitely have to take notice of uh, whenever we cap his fights. Another thing that he likes to do a lot is his, his leg kicks. He landed, I think, 20 or 21 leg kicks in the first five minutes of his fight against Mario Bautista. So that's something he definitely targets on his opponents, especially to try to slow them down against Lawrence, I think he's going to attempt to do the same thing, especially considering how much Lawrence moves about the cage. However, I think that could potentially set up a takedown opportunity for Lawrence if he times these kicks properly and tries to parlay them into a takedown. Lawrence has everything you could like in a kid in terms of cardio and uh, wrestling. I think those are like the two 
if you have those two two things as your base and your 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 you know your bread and butter of your game plan, I think you have a very high ceiling in terms of having success inside the UFC. Um, again, this is a long stretch in terms of a comparison, but the reason Colby Covington and Kamar Usman are so uh, successful. Their cardio and the wrestling is, you know, second to none almost. They're able to go out there and land takedowns uh, time after time. It doesn't matter if their opponent gets back to the feet. They're able to go out and do that. But we are seeing the progress from Kamaru in terms of getting his hands better, even with uh, Colby. You know, his hands are getting a little bit better, especially with the pace that he pushes. But Lawrence, you know, starting off nice and raw here with just wrestling and cardio, I think that's enough for him to, you know, make it to a certain point within the UFC. He's planted his feet, I believe, now over there at Sanford MMA, which is also obviously a very great uh, training camp that you should be able to go out, go out there and get some good bodies to work with and obviously some good coaching to kind of steer him in the right direction. Uh, and I would really like to see his striking, you know, kind of tighten up a little bit more. He seems a little bit wild, right? Throws a lot of spinning stuff, throws a lot of wacky, unorthodox stuff, especially from the outside because that's how he likes to move. Stays on the outside and just waits for his opportunities to kind of close the distance and either one, come with the strike or two, come with the tip takedown and it's very difficult for opponents to kind of read what's going to be coming their way which is why Lawrence is more often not successful with his approach my my concern here though is you know if Jones does clip him too that's absolutely a possibility but again I do think that's that small variable that Jones uh, you know he he has that knockout opportunity that's kind of his um that in my opinion that's his only way to win this fight you know jones has a pretty good grappling uh background don't get me wrong i do think he can make this fight competitive if it does get taken to the ground and i don't think that lawrence is going to just slice through him like butter or anything like that i do think that lawrence will get some control time on the ground and then obviously have some decent success on the feet but i think it's all going to come through control 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 stay on jones uh don't let him breathe you know jones has this knack to allow opponents to kind of dictate the pace and i think that's going to be trouble for him especially for a guy like lawrence uh or, or sorry especially up against a guy like lawrence who i do think is going to be able to complete takedowns with relative ease here and just take home a decision victory so the way that i'd be looking to attack it lawrence by decision i'd be surprised if he actually finishes a guy like trevin jones who's been known to be quite durable um lawrence by decision is plus 210 I like that line. I think that's a solid spot. I think it's going to be. I th I remember after the Vince Cashero fights, a lot of people are like, "Oh, we're not going to get the Ronnie Lawrence at a good line anymore." Here we have a good line. Now, are you willing to take the risk? You know, um, I do like Lawrence here. I do think he gets it done. I do think he gets it done via decision. Um, again, a very bright prospect. A guy I think that has a very um, uh, high ceiling. The question is, um, can he can he implement it effectively without getting clipped? That's kind of my um, that, that's kind of my concern in term, in terms of playing his money line here. But that uh, but that um, that decision line is definitely the spot that I like. My guy Jimmy the Drunk here saying, Ronnie, poor man's Gillespie Lawrence, but it's working. It's definitely working. So I do like um, Mister. Uh, I do like Mr. Lawrence here in this spot. I will say this. I'm going to have a, a small little Q&A uh, session at the end of the stream here uh, just to answer a couple of the questions that we got going on. But again, I'm just going to fly through some of these matchups 
just to respect the people that are listening to this on the audio on the back end. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Ashley Yoder minus 150 going up against Jin Yu Fry plus 130. Super close, tight fight. Uh, super difficult to break down in terms of who's really going to have the advantage. Um, you know, Yoder, obviously, uh, black belt in jiu-jitsu, uh, working on her takedowns, working on her clinch game, uh, even working on her striking. But the issue is that her volume seems to be lacking at certain points in fights. Fry, on the other hand, obviously had a very uh, solid bounce back fight where she was able to pick up the win over Gloria DePaulo, I believe, who actually finds herself in, you know, a much higher spot on the card, which is hilarious. But uh, Fry going out there trying to put together two wins here in the UFC. And I think that this is a winnable fight for her against Ashley Yoder. The issue is what kind of approach is she going to come up with? Because if she goes out there and tries to grapple fuck Yoder, I think she, she, she's going to have some solid success. Obviously, she has a lot of submissions and stuff to worry about. But I do believe that if they end up in scrambled positions, Fry, Fry might actually be the one that ends up getting ahead and getting on top and, and you know, having more success uh in those scramble positions on the feet you know both girls leave a lot to be desired man i that is very interesting to me for, to me uh, in terms of Jin Yu fry's last fight against uh, gloria DePaula, where she just absolutely wins the first round grapple fucking DePaula. then she goes out there and decides to stand and strike i'm not sure if that was more so an uh an issue for her to you know or sorry a, a game plan of hers to kind of get her wits back about her and get that the the cardio that she needs stored enough to go out there and win the third round decisively just as she did you know pretty much controlling the back of DePaulo for that the majority of the third round luckily for her she didn't get hit with anything too big in that second round which is why she was able to implement that game plan in the third round the way that she did and I don't think she has much to worry about in terms of the striking with Yoder here my concern also lays with the fact that Fry is a 105er she will always be a 105er and whenever she's going up against some of these mainstays at 115 pounds she's always going to be outsized and that's exactly the case in this spot my my the, what, what i'll say in returns to that is though i don't think that yoda is that strong i don't think that she'll have a huge strength advantage in the spot which is why i still do lean on the Jin Yu fry side um tough fight to call i'd rather have the plus money side i'd rather take the plus money uh, even on the uh, the decision line, because I highly doubt we'll see a finish on either side. I don't think that Fry has the knockout power, nor do I think that she has the ground game to uh, you know muster up a, a TKO on the ground. Nor do I think that she'll be able to snatch up a submission on the black belt on Yoder. And just as obvious on the other side, I don't think that Yoder has the knockout capabilities. And even though Yoder is a black belt, I don't think that it's going to allow her to find that submission here on Jin Yu Fry. So the spot that I'm looking at, Jin Yu Fry to win by decision at plus 200. Give me some of that. But again, close fight. Close fight. You can't be mad at either outcome because you know what you're getting yourself into with this type of, with this type of fight. All right. Um, yeah, shout out to my guy, Sex God, right here. This fight is 1 800 Grambler for sure. All right. Um, moving on to the next fight, we got Donnie Chavez going up against Kai Kamaka, minus 105 on Chavez, minus 115 on Kamaka. Very close fight again in terms of the odds, minus 115. Again, I've seen on either side, minus 110 at certain spots. It's pretty much been staying at a pick with the couple spots that are actually giving Danny Chavez some plus money. Now, remember when everybody was so high on Danny Chavez going into that Jared Gordon fight? That's a clear example of what recency bias could look like, especially when he's going up against a guy like 
like TJ Brown, a common opponent of both of these guys, where he's able to go out there and just completely implement his game. We saw, in my opinion, we saw a different TJ Brown in the Chavez fight than we did in the Kamaka fight, which is why Chavez had as much success as he did. A lot of calf kicking, obviously, he trains out of MMA Masters, a, a gym that's kind of known to go out there and utilize that calf kick, and he was able to able to implement a very uh, again solid uh, a solid approach against TJ Brown in Danny Chavez's UFC debut uh, which is why he was able to take that win there and then in his next fight against Jared Gordon he's going up against a guy that's just stayed in his face and gave him no room to breathe and just did not allow him to get any of his game going and then obviously Jared Gordon completes takedowns as well to to uh, truly put a hammer or, or nail in that coffin of that fight so good one for Jared Gordon there especially as an underdog in that fight so I was happy to cash that bet but Danny Chavez still has some good things that he can go out there and implement a guy uh, against a guy like Kai Kamaka. I think Kamaka is a skilled fighter, but I do think that he does struggle when guys are able to kind of get their own game going, especially in the striking room and especially kind of just pushing them back. Uh, I'll say this. I had a bet on TJ Brown against Kai Kamaka, and I thought that Kai Kamaka overperformed, uh, definitely deserved that uh, decision. But um, luckily for him, uh, they, they ended up giving a TJ Brown that night. I think Kai Kamaka is a great striker. Shows good, good technique. Uh, you know, good, uh, good combinations. I think he has some decent potential, but I do think he does start to slow down as well later in fights, which could potentially cause him issues, especially here against Chavez, who will. In my opinion, I think he'll stay on him for the majority of the fight. Um, I think uh, Kamaka. Again, I think he struggles, especially when he's not able to get his game going. When guys are putting combinations on him, when guys are putting punches on him, and I think Chavez, obviously, I think he's going to be targeting that calf right off the bat, and I think that will slow down Kamaka, allowing Chavez to really get his striking going and potentially even throwing in some takedowns in there if he needs it. Um, Kamaka, obviously, uh, another spot where he's coming in on short notice. He's done it a couple times in the UFC now. But I think that this is one of the tougher ones for him to come in and, and try to find a W as I do think that Chavez very well skilled, very well trained, like I said, out of MMA Masters, he should be able to get the better of the striking exchanges, you know, revolve a game plan around that calf kick, slow down Kamaka, and then start getting your hands going or start mixing in some takedowns if you like. But I do like Chavez in the spot, uh, you know, if you're getting even money here, I give the slight advantage to Chavez as well in terms of, uh, you know, him maybe deservedly being a little, a little bit bigger of a favorite, uh, maybe minus 125, minus 130, but I do like Chavez to win this fight. Um, again, not a, not a, not a big spot for me uh, in terms of the confidence level, but I do think that Chavez still gets it done this week. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Chris Gritzmacher going up against Hafa Garcia, minus 310 on Garcia, plus 255 on Gritzmacher. Now, I completely understand why people are going out there and be like, oh, Garcia should just absolutely steamroll in this fight. But if you look a little bit deeper into this fight, you, you might find yourself questioning Garcia's side. Now, I do think Garcia wins. I'll, you, I'll tell you guys right off the bat, my prediction is going to be a Garcia first-round knockout, but... The issue is if Garcia doesn't get that first round knockout, he could potentially be in some trouble. Now, I know Gritzmacher isn't the greatest fighter, but I'd like to call him the, the poor man's Darren Elkins. And that, you know, probably not the best compliment you can give anybody, but he seems to have 
that that grind and that grit that could definitely give a guy like Garcia problems, especially with, you know, past fights where I've seen Garcia start to slow down and, you know, the pop on his shots just doesn't seem to be there anymore. And I think that could potentially cause him some issues here uh, with Gritzmacher, who's going to be moving forward, who's going to be kind of pushing Garcia and kind of just, you know, trying to break him. Now, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, he went three rounds against Nazrat Hackpressed on short notice, albeit great. And he, you know, he he ended up making it to a decision. So why should a guy like Gritzmarker go out there and uh, finish him if a guy like Nazrat didn't? They're completely different styles, though, right? You got Nazrat Hakprast out there doing the matador. You know, he's sticking and moving, sticking and moving, landing a couple big shots and getting out of the way, not really pushing the fight too much. Well, Gritzmacher, you're going to get a guy that's going to take a little bit of a beating in the first round. And if he doesn't get knocked out, he's going to start to come forward and he's going to stay in your face. He's going to push you up against the cage and he's going to make it grindy. And we could potentially see that gas tank of Garcia potentially fail him. And that's what's kind of keeping me off it. Like, again, I've had so many people hit me up this week, be like, oh, you know, Garcia should be the lock of the night play. But I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical about it. Uh, again, another big shout out to my guy, AJ Sholo from AJ MMA betting and daily fan MMA. We put a little bit too much stock into the standing knockout. You know, if, if it's a knockout that you expect that's going to happen on the ground from ground and pound, like from a, a legitimate and formidable wrestler, then okay, I, I understand it. But we sometimes put a little bit too much sauce on that, you know, uh, a guy is just ultimately going to go out there and get starched immediately. Uh, one fight that I kind that kind of comes to my mind that, uh, you know, somewhat works into my argument here is the Sumadarji versus Zaruk Adashev fight, right? Everybody going out there and be like, oh, Adashev is chinny. He's going to get knocked out within the first round. This is a quick, easy win for Sumadarji. Now, it was still kind of an easy fight for Mudarji. He goes out there and wins a decision. But that just goes to show just because a guy got knocked the fuck out in his last fight, it doesn't mean it's always going to happen. Garcia does throw everything he has into all of his shots, and he could absolutely find the chin of Gritzmacher and put him out in this spot, which is ultimately what I'm going to be predicting to happen. But if he doesn't, things get sticky. Things will get sticky. And I think that Gritzmacher could do something to, to stifle those plans of Garcia. So the way that I actually uh, approach this fight I took the under two and a half. That's my dog of the night play. I took the under two and a half, one unit at plus 100. I think both guys have finishing capabilities. I think Garcia could get him out of there early, which is ultimately what what, what my prediction is going to be. But then there's also the possibility that if Gritzmacher does survive, he's going to go out there and do, do what Gritzmacher does, and that's push dudes and try to break dudes. And uh, he could do that here against Garcia. So, yeah, the pick is still Garcia, but... Again, it, it could get a little bit sticky if Garcia doesn't get this done quickly. <clears throat> I see you, Z. I see you. Don't worry. I know you're heavy on Garcia. <laughs> there you go. Don't don't let me uh don't let me uh scare you away from the bet that you just made, but I'm just trying to uh uh, just trying to be a level head with this with this fight, but uh, yeah, I do like uh, I do like Garcia though. I still think he gets it done round one KO, but I'm taking the under two and a half. That's the spot that I'm going to be approaching here. Uh, again, there there are some good props for Garcia too. Don't get me wrong, Garcia KO obviously uh, plus four twenty five, which I think is a little bit crazy. Uh, Garcia round one. 
uh, plus 300, not too bad either. Marker, mark around three plus 2325. I might have to stick my hand in the cookie jar there and see what happens. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that uh, Garcia gets done round one. KO. All right, let's move on to the next fight. I believe we got a 13 fight card here. Uh, next up, we got Colin Anglin going up against Meltzik Bagdazarian. Minus 140 for Bagdazarian and uh, plus 120 for Anglin. Uh, fun fight. This this could potentially be fight of the night. Now, Bagdazarian, I believe his four fights before coming to the contenders, he went out there and just absolutely starched dudes within like seconds. I'm talking about like seven seconds, 11 seconds, 13 seconds. Like he's just going out there and just absolutely stifling dudes real quick. And once you see him fight, you completely understand why. The guy, you know, took one MMA fight in 2014 and he lost. Then he switched on over to kickboxing and boxing, and it was just having a lot of success there. And then came back over to the MMA world and just kept starching dudes up until the point that he made it to the uh, the uh, contender series. And he goes out there and um, has a solid showing against a guy that just wasn't going away. And Dennis Bazookia, I believe the guy's name was. <clears throat> Solid showing for him in there, right? Like he went out there and he did the Bogdazarian thing, which is try to get his opponent out of there in the first round. And, uh, you know, Bazookia was still sticking around. He was rolling with some of the shots, but he was still eating a good brunt of those shots. Uh, but in the second and third rounds, we still saw Bogdazarian kind of moving forward, really pushing the, not pushing the pace, I should say, kind of just pushing the fight to um bazooka just staying in his face all of his shots he's throwing heavy heavy strikes his leg kicks his body kicks his, his fucking punches down the middle uh you know he'd clinch up at certain points to kind of just catch his breath and then whenever you would catch his breath you would just break off and start throwing bombs again so it, it was even though it looked like he was gassing it was still impressive in the fact that he was still throwing heavy enough shots to kind of keep his opponent off of him and 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 just pretty much intimidate his opponent the entire way you know, so it's hilarious seeing guys that look like they're close to death, but they're still going out there and throwing good shots and throwing good combinations and and throwing solid power. So that kind of impressed me about Bogdazarian. And obviously he's going up against, a, in my opinion, a slightly better opponent here in Colin Anglin, who, you know, had success on the regional scene, finishing skeptical competition. Then he goes out there and, yeah, you know, puts a little bit of a whooping on Naimov, I believe the guy's name was for the contender series. And then eventually gets the um, uh, his contract after that. So you could break this down as simple as, you know, Bagdazarian early or Anglin late. But I think even if this fight does reach the second round, Bagdazarian could absolutely put a whooping on Anglin. Uh, you know, Anglin uh, hittable for sure. I think he has a little bit more of a, I don't want to say wild, uh, you know, a little bit a solid technical striking game. But I do think that Bagdazarian is the, is the better technical striker in this spot. And I do think he's going to end up finding that chin of Anglin. I don't think this fight's going to go to the second or third round. I think the spots that could be intriguing are the under two and a half uh, or is the under two and a half, which I think is around plus 125. Uh, both guys have fi finishing capabilities. I think Anglin could potentially put it on later. Um, let's see what... Uh, the under here yeah the under two and a half is plus 125 um i, I do think that bogdazarian's uh speed his power and his technical uh acumen not to mention his precision on most of his shots should be able to find that chin of anglin and put this guy down uh again we haven't really seen too many instances of anglin going out there and getting knocked out he's only eight and one his only loss coming via decision way early in his career i believe it was his second pro fight 
Um, but I do think he's going to struggle here dealing with the type of striking that's coming his way from Bogdazarian. I'm going to say this on it. Like, everybody can agree with this. Both of these guys pretty much had layups earlier in their career uh, before, uh, you know, the contender series. Colin does have uh, an LFA fight against a 20 and 11 opponent who he was able to start within 14 seconds. I would love to have seen how that fight continues on if it if it did go any longer. But you could say the same thing from the Bogdazarian side, although, you know, 0 and 0, 3 and 5, 0 and 0. Four and three, like those are the type of guys these guys are going up against on the regional scene. So England probably better level of experience that he's fought in the past, but I do still think that the technical expertise that Melsic, uh shows in the striking realm is going to be a little bit too much for England, and not to mention that power I think is ultimately going to catch up with him. So I'm going to go with Bogdazarian, and I'm going to take him to win by first round knockout in this fight. Yes, hype, hype MMA. You are correct. Malsik is a scary motherfucker, uh, and I do think that he'll absolutely go out there and find that chin when he needs to. So I'm like, I'm like in Bogdazarian. Uh, Bogdazarian round one isn't a bad spot either. Plus four fifty. I wouldn't mind that. And then obviously Bogdazarian by KO plus two seven five. Not a bad spot either. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Nico Montano, minus 245, going up against Yanan Wu, plus 205. Now, public perception out there on Nico Montano is not the greatest, and not to mention this is actually the prelim headliner. How? No idea. I would rather have them have make it the Anglin and Bogdazarian fight, but here we are. Uh, obviously, the, the thing about Nico Montano has been the fact that she's just never able to make it to the cage, right? She won the Ultimate Fighter season 26 back in December of 2017 where she beat Roxanne Modafari over five rounds but then since then she was scheduled for what two four six seven fights uh or sorry eight fights and only made it to one of them which was the Juliana Pena one back in uh July of 2019 so we're talking about close to two years or sorry over two years ago at this point We'll talk about that fight first, and then we'll get into the to the pullouts and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, the Pena fight, solid six, six and a half-ish minutes from Nico Montano, getting the better of Juliana Pena in most of these grappling situations. But then it seemed like the size and the grappling advantage that I thought that Juliana Pena had in that fight started to pay its dividends, and she was able to kind of wear on Nico Montano, having her own success, you know, closing out that second round with some solid ground and pound. One judge actually gave Juliana Pena a 10-8 in that uh, second round. I thought that was absolutely crazy crazy to give her a 10-8 in that spot but uh yeah she gets a 10-8 in round two and then obviously wins round three then she's scheduled to fight macy kiasson she withdraws due to an injury that was february of 2020 then she fights julia julia avila that fight gets rescheduled then she's supposed to fight her in september pulls out due to covid i believe one of her coaches tested positive for covid as well <clears throat> sorry i need to wet the whistle there real quick then she was uh, scheduled to fight Julia Vila again in October, but she could just, I, I believe that was a, yeah, that was a fight island card and she was not able to get over uh, due to travel restrictions or something like that. So she gets pulled out of that. And then the Carol Hosa fight, she's not medically cleared. Now, when that news originally came out, not a lot of people knew the fact that she actually got into a car accident in January, which was the reason she had to pull out of the Carol Hosa fight. You know, gets into a car accident, suffers a con concussion, and then has to sit out. So out of the one, two, three, four, five fights that she couldn't make, I believe only the Macy Kiasson one 
yeah, only the Macy Kiasan one was the one that was actually due to a legitimate like training injury. The the Carol Hosa one, like I said, it was due to uh, a car accident that she suffered and obviously had to, you know, couldn't pass the physicals to to make it to the fight. So there is that to worry about. Uh, even before the Juliana Pena fight, the Sarah McMahon fight, McMahon is the one that pulled out due to an injury. And then Juliana Pena steps in. Uh, and then obviously the Shevchenko fight, we know what happened with that, the, the weight cut. So all of the fights preceding the Valentina Shevchenko fight were scheduled for 135 pounds. She is committed to 135 pounds now, it seems. You know, she it looks like she's doing the weight training and all that stuff to try to be comfortable at this weight. And she's even changed her training camp to go over there to Syndicate MMA in Las Vegas so she can take full advantage of the UFC PI, which is something that she seems to be doing quite often. And then obviously getting great bodies to work with uh, when she's training over there at Syndicate MMA, which is a, you know, a solid training camp for herself. In terms of how these women stylistically match up with each other, you know, Yunnan Wu probably has a slight striking advantage in this spot. I think the best way, excuse me, I think the best way Yunnan Wu truly finds success in this fight is if it remains a striking battle from distance for the full 15 minutes. I am hard-pressed to believe that Nico Montagna will allow that to happen. I think that we'll see her clinch up. She's very nasty in the clinch as well. Has some great elbows, has some great knees. She does a lot of damage. She's great takedown defense as well. And especially in those situations when she's trying to get taken down, she does a good job in terms of stuffing the takedown and landing damage as well. So it looks like she's being the one that's more active and actually adding damage in those fights. Um, and then even her takedowns. Her takedowns will definitely be the, the ace in the hole in this fight, in my opinion. I do think she'll be able to ground Wu. And even if she doesn't, if she just decides to go out there and clinch up against the cage with her and just kind of rough her up from that aspect, I think that Montana will have massive amounts of success there. Now, uh, news just came out today, thanks to James Lynch, saying that uh, Yunnan Wu has actually been spending time over there um, at Team Oyama training with like Alex Perez and those guys. And, uh, you know, they could definitely do some justice for her but i wonder how much she's truly going to be able to pick up in that short amount of time you know in terms of the grappling that's definitely the reason that they're probably putting her over there to try to get some good bodies and some some good work but i do think that montano uh should cruise in this fight man I, I truly feel very very confident about her she is my main play for the week as well i think the public perception of her is just downplaying the skill that she actually has and that's we just have to as betters and gamblers we have to take our our heads out of those those negative spaces like you know the, the funny thing is like when you when you google search nico montano or sorry when you youtube search nico montano the first thing that comes up is nico montano the worst ufc champion ever like that's the public perception of her right now but this is a winnable fight for her this is a in my opinion i think it's an easy fight for her that she should go out there and win rounds quite easily with clinch work whether she gets the takedown or not, if she just pushes Wu up against the cage and just dishes out the damage. And then I think her striking is good enough to remain competitive as well. So I do like Montano in this spot. You know, again, Wu can win this fight. Don't get me wrong. If this fight does stay on the feet for the full 50 minutes and, and Wu is just getting her strikes off from the outside, she could win this fight. But I think that Montano will push this into the realms where she's going to have the advantage, the clinch, the grappling, the, you know, the, 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 not the distance striking, the in-the-pocket striking. I think she'll have a lot of success there as well. So I like Montano a lot in this spot. Uh, I think that, you know, some people th might think the line is a little bit wide, but I do think that uh, it's suitable. I think come fight time, she'll probably even look like minus 300, to be honest. But I do like uh, Montano in this spot, and I think she very much cruises as well. 
I see a couple of people actually asking about uh, propping you up. Um, uh, sorry, in terms of propping you up, obviously didn't do the show this week. We will be back next week, though, so I apologize. Uh, again, scheduling for me and Cody is a little bit very tough right now, uh, considering, um, you know, he has a fucking five, six different hats that he wears in terms of different jobs and stuff. And then obviously everything that I got going on too. Uh, but yeah, we will be back next week for sure. Joe Rogan's forehead wrinkle saying, what time is it where you are? It is 1.47 a.m. Friday morning. So grinding, baby. We grinding out here. All right. So yeah, I like Montano. I'm taking Montano by decision. Um, I'm seeing a couple Montano inside the distance uh, people out there, but I think Wu will do a good enough job in terms of nullifying the amount of damage that's coming from on top, especially if this fight does hit the ground. But yeah, I do like Montana here, taking her by decision. All right, next up, we got Brian Barbarena, minus 260 going up against uh, Jason Witt, plus 220. Uh, intriguing spot here, right, for, for Barbarena, uh, coming back after an extended layoff. Um a lot of people think that this is a, a bit of a layup fight for him, but I'm going to go back kind of to the Garcia fight uh, and talk about, you know, if Barbarina goes out there and doesn't get the finish, what happens? Now, Jason went super chinny. Obviously, everybody can everybody can see that. But again, like, we put a lot of stock in these standing knockouts, and if they don't transpire, is Brian Barbarina truly going to go out there and cover that line? There's been so many instances where, you know, he should, but he doesn't. And Jason Witt, albeit, you know, a mediocre fighter, he has decent wrestling, decent grappling, good top control, um, you know, not coming off of all these crazy surgeries that Brian Barbarino is going through. And obviously James Krause trained, which is always a, a bit of a positive, no matter what skill level you're at. So I do think Barbarino does go out there and starch Jason Witt here, but like, to me, Barbarina has never really been that crazy one-punch knockout kind of guy. Obviously, it might come to fruition here given the, the durability issues that Jason Witt showcases in some of his fights. But, man, to put all my eggs in that basket is going to be a little bit tough for me to be like, ooh, Brian Barbarino was absolutely starching in this spot. Uh, I do think he does win the fight. I do think he lands that knockout blow early and, and gets Jason Witt out of there. But if he doesn't, man, things are going to get a little bit fishy. Definitely get fishy if Jason Witt starts landing takedowns and, and kind of grinding him in from on top. You know, I think Jason Witt will be the stronger guy and he's grappling in clinch positions and that could cause Barbarino some issues. And not to mention, you know, Barbarino was close to just hanging it up a couple fights ago. But if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was his coaches that were kind of just banging him to kind of get back into the cage. So to even have that type of mindset and then go through all those crazy surgeries and everything that he's had to go through over the last couple of years, it's it's a tough ass to pay minus 260 on him i'd rather just take the 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 quick ko prop you know the or sorry just just take him by ko period um let me just pull up those props real quick barbarina by ko plus 160 barbarina in round one plus 250 like those are the two ways i'd look to approach it but yeah i do think barbarina wins here and i do think that he uh, st uh stiffs him pretty quickly but yes i do like uh barbarina to win this um, <laughs> sees them amazing. Yeah, I took a barb here. Uh, barb inside the distance, but I'm just guessing I didn't realize how bad his surgery was. Uh, Tristan Sherhouse letting us know Barbarina has two first round KOs in the UFC. Like, are we 
banking on him to do that, like for sure here against Jason Witt. I don't know, man. A little bit sketchy, but I do think he ultimately ends up pulling it off. I'm not going to lay the minus 260. Obviously, I'll put him uh, in maybe a couple parlays or something, like four fun parlays, no serious money on them. But I do like, uh, I think he gets it done pretty quickly here. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I did make um, a bit of a lottery parlay already. I think I chose to attack it from a under two and a half perspective when I put it into my parlay. Let me just pull that up real quick. I'm going to share this to the Patreon uh, probably tonight. Yeah, I took uh Oh, no, I didn't take it. I took Barbara in a straight. That's fine. It was the, the Bogdazarian and Colin Anglin fight that I took the under two and a half. But yeah, I do like Barbarina here. I think he gets the knockout, but uh, at minus 260, I'm a pass. I'm a pass for sure. All right, let me get some water, and then we will move on to the next fight. We got Ryan Benoit. Minus 140 going up against Zaruk Adashev, plus 120 on his side. And if you guys remember, these guys were scheduled to fight each other a couple of months ago. I'm just going to quickly pull up the exact date that these guys were scheduled. Uh, May 8th. So they're scheduled to fight on May 8th, and that's exactly the day, or sorry, the day before, May 7th, when they went for the weigh-ins. Ryan Benoit had that weird episode where he went out there and just fainted. Right, like he, he couldn't even make it to the fucking stage. He couldn't even make it to the scale. I remember he kind of fainted. Then he went to the back, and then they brought him back out, and he still fucking like it was one of the craziest situations I, I seen. I was so pissed off that the NSAC would even allow him to come back onto the scale for the second time. Obviously, the fight was quickly, um, what was quickly uh, canceled after that. Uh, they are fighting at 125 pounds again, so we're definitely going to have to watch what Ryan Benoit looks like on the scales come this weekend. So if you're looking to, you know, place a bet on him, I would rather wait till the end of the the weigh-ins to truly uh, decide if I want to part ways with my money for somebody who's shown, you know, an incompetency in terms of making 125 pounds correctly. Now both guys, you know, sketchy records: ten and seven. Ryan Benoit, three and three. Zaruk Adashev. Adashev has a couple fights over there in Bellator where he was able to truly. Uh, I'd say, you know, work out his full MMA game. You know, he did get two knockout finishes in two of the, uh, three of those fights. But he did show some spots where, you know, he's trying to fuck around with the grappling. Obviously, he's a glory kickboxer and, you know, has that kickboxing background. But he did need those rounds in terms of trying to go out there and grapple and just get a feel of it, especially in the live action. He's training out of Nick Catone's gym. Obviously, he has a ton of great training partners over there in New Jersey. So I got to believe that he's actually having solid success or at least going to have some solid improvements once it gets to you know fight time. He's only 29 years old, so you got to believe that he's going to be picking up a couple of things or two in terms of the grappling realm. But Ryan Benoit clearly has the advantage on paper in terms of being able to land takedowns and possibly going for submissions. In the striking realm, you know, Benoit could have some success there, but I do think that we'll see Adeshev actually land the better strikes and, you know, land the, the more effective strikes. My concern here is how how much is Benoit going to try to lean on the grappling uh, for this fight because that's probably where he has the clearest uh, path to victory. In the past, Ryan Benoit's had to deal with guys just that just want to go out there and grapple fucking, which is why he's not had as much success as he's he could have. Uh, but now going up against Adeshev, I'd be surprised if Adeshev goes out there and tries to grapple fuck him. So I think we should get a striking battle here. But if Benoit knows what's better for him, he's going to want to mix in the clinch, mix in a couple of takedowns, and try to make this more of a grimy fight. With that said, 
can you trust Ryan Benoit to do that? Like, do you think he's that level of fighter that he'll actually go out there and try to grapple fuck Adeshev? You got to hope. But I, I'm actually leaning Adeshev in this fight ever so slightly. You know, I like him as a small, small dog, plus 120. I think he could be very effective on the feet. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to go out there and get styled on and get, you know, absolutely demolished by Suma Darje. Well, Darje had a ton of success in the fight, don't get me wrong. But I do think that Adeshev showed a little bit of bright spots in there, especially with the long, rangy, lanky, and unorthodox fighter like um, like Suma Darji. You know, I I just want to quickly pull up the the statistics of that. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Mudarji led a 50 strikes to the 28. Uh, no real takedowns or anything in that. It was literally just a striking match, and uh, Mudarji made full uh, use of that uh, that height and reach advantage he had in that fight. Compared to here, where you have uh, Benoit three inch reach advantage as well as uh, the same height here. So I don't think that we'll see Adeshev struggle as much as he did uh, in the Mudarji fight in terms of finding that uh, chin and, and finding the target here on Ryan Benoit. So I do like Adeshev. Uh, I think he has a possibility to potentially KO um, Benoit here too, especially if he can find that chin. But I do think he's more of a point fighter than anything. I think he'll be able to land the more solid and more effective strikes to take home a judge's decision. Am I ultimately or super confident to the point that I'm actually going to put my money on it? Probably not. But I do like Adeshev in this spot. Adeshev by decision is another spot that I like as well, um, which currently sits at Adeshev by decision plus 255. Not too bad of a spot either there. So I do like Adeshev here. I think he gets, gets it done via decision. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We got Jared Gooden stepping in on short notice to fight Nicholas Stolze. If I'm not mistaken, Stolze was supposed to fight Munir Lezez. Munir Lezez pulls out in steps. Jared Gooden. Now, Stolze UFC debut was against uh, Ramazan Amiv. Very tough to prepare for a guy like that who, who fights the way that Ramazan does fight. A very tough UFC debut as well, which is why he ended up faltering in that fight. Um, I think that this is a much better stylistic matchup for him, not to mention the fact that Gooden coming in on short notice, known to be a guy that's kind of slowed down in past fights, could definitely be uh, cause him some issues here uh, against a durable guy like Stolze. I think Stolze is the better fighter all around. I think he has the better grappling. I think he has the better striking. But I do have to give the advantage to Gooden in terms of the power that he's able to muster up and lay on some of these guys and obviously get a ton of knockouts as well on his record. I do think that Stolze will be able to stand up to most of his strikes and his uh, offensive approach and then start to take over the later this fight goes. And I think that's kind of going to be the X factor of this fight is the fact that Stolze had a full, you know, full training camp for uh, in preparation for this date, whereas Gooden is just picking up the phone and be like, yeah, I'll take the fight. Uh, Gooden did show some decent skills in the Obu, uh, Bubakar and fight, had a decent job that he was able to make uh, somewhat effective, but I do think that it's going to be tough for him to do that here against Tulsa, who in my opinion just has more tools, especially in the striking room. Great kicks, great body kicks, and again, uh, I think he has that ability to take this fight to the ground if he needs to, but I do think that he has Gooden covered everywhere in this fight, but I, uh, but I don't think that the line is, you know, terribly off. You know, I've heard some, uh, some people taking early action on Stolze when the night line initially dropped around minus 120, minus 130. I don't blame them for that, but uh, roughly around minus 195, I don't think that there's much value on either side in this spot. Um, yeah, I like Stolze. I like Stolze by decision. No big lean or read in this spot. Uh, 
you know, probably will be a complete pass for me, especially on like lottery parlays and all that stuff. But I do think that Stolze wins this fight. Uh, yeah, going to be tough for a good one to overcome this fight um, to actually find find a win. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got three fights left. We're just f flying through this. Uh, we got Cheyenne Buys minus 165 going up against Gloria De Paula. Uh, plus 145 is the comeback on her. Now, if you guys remember me talking about it earlier in the show when I was talking about Darren Elkins and and Derek Minner, um, you know, Derek Minner having that recency bias on him. Uh, in terms of you know going out there and getting a decision victory against a guy like Charles Rosa, and now all of a sudden people believe that he's this new fighter, 37 fights into his career, that he's just all of a sudden going to have great cardio and should be able to decision fuck whoever the hell he wants. And that was clearly not the case. You know, he did start to gas, he did start to suck wind, and he ultimately ended up getting finished. Another guy that I like to kind of throw in there is Khalil Roundtree. Ty Leal, as I used to call him, right? A guy who goes out there and has a fantastic performance against Eric Anders, and now all of a sudden everybody thinks he's the goods. Comes in there as a, I believe he was a favorite, if I'm not mistaken, against the Ewan Kutilaba. Kutilaba goes out there and absolutely grounds the fight and then beats his shit into the canvas. Uh, and obviously has not looked good since either. But now this is like recency bias in a weird way. Like it's recency bias in the fact that everybody thinks that Cheyenne Bias sucks. She doesn't suck. She's a decent fighter. It sucks that the fact that she got stuck in that head and arm position for almost 15 minutes against Montserrat Ruiz. But do you guys really expect Paula to go out there and do the same thing? You think that she's just going to fucking head and arm throw the buys and keep her in that position for 15 minutes? No. That's not Paula's game. What is Paula's game? She likes to go out there and strike. She has solid hands. She has decent power. She has good combinations. But I think she struggles when she fights girls that are willing to take her to the mat. And I think that's exactly what Cheyenne Baez is going to be successful in doing in this fight. I think that she, she'll be able to ground her time and time again if she looks to go that route. And um, I do think that she'll struggle in those situations as well. Sorry, I was just looking at something in terms of her record that uh, kind of threw me off. But yeah. Um, DePaula, obviously, I think she'll have the striking advantage in this fight, but I think that Cheyenne Baez is would be absolutely bonkers to not go out there and try to pursue the takedown, cons considering the lack of takedown defense that we saw from DePaula in her last fight, or in her last couple fights, I should say, and then her inability to get back to her feet or even produce any type of resistance off of her back. So... I think that this is almost a buy-low spot for Cheyenne Baez. We, not, we need to erase that anomaly of a fight of the Montserrat Ruiz fight. In all of the years of watching MMA that you guys have gone through, how many times have you ever seen a fighter complete that time and time again? Or how many times have you seen different fighters go out there and complete the head-and-arm position type of way that Cheyenne Baez was beaten in her last fight? Very little. I think if that didn't, if you know, if if Cheyenne Baez went out there and just got quickly subbed, or if Cheyenne Baez went in there and and even won, she probably would be a minus two fifty, minus three hundred in this spot, especially with DePaula having the fight that she had against uh, Jinyu Fry last time around. So, yeah, I'm on Cheyenne Baez here. I I think that it's a decent spot for a minus one sixty five is a great line in my opinion. I think she can grind out DePaula in this spot. I do think that she wins this fight via decision as well. Uh, where is it? 
I just want to pull up the odds here for the props. But yeah, I think buys cruises in this fight, to be honest. Um, buys by decision plus 100. I think that's the spot. Even taking her money line, I don't think it's a bad idea in case she gets a TKO or a submission with her grappling. But I do think that she is rightfully favored. Uh, I think people are just scared to bet on her because of the Ruiz fight. Take that out of your mind. This is a completely different fight. You know, in my opinion, the only way she loses this fight is if she plays into the baller's game, which is go out there and strike for 15 minutes. I don't think she'll do that. I think she's smart enough not to mention four to seven May. I think they're good enough to go out there and know to take this fight to the ground and nullify the striking advantage that DePaul is going to have here. So I do like uh, bias here. Don't let the recency bias, negative recency bias on bias, uh, take you off of her in this spot. But I do think she wins. So I do like uh, Shay and Bias to win this spot. Yeah, Andrew Logan, you got to be a madman to bet on uh, Gloria DePaula. You are absolutely right in the spot. So, yeah, I do really like buys in the spot. And, uh, yeah, she should win pretty easy. Daniel's saying buys trains at Extreme Couture. They're not as smart. Is she at Extreme? I thought she was at... Um, I thought she was at uh, Fortis. That's changed. Quickly make that uh, adjustment. Yeah, it looks like she's at Extreme Couture. Interesting. Again, not a bad training camp either. It looks like her her man, her her hobby, made the move with her as well. I wonder why they made the move. And sorry, I'm just quickly going back to see when she uh she made the move down there looks like she got her blue belt 35 weeks ago that was pre contender series it looks like yeah interesting i i didn't realize that she uh she changed camps also interesting that 29 weeks ago she had a picture with her and uh genu fry <laughs> uh but yeah i i like bias here Regardless, whether it's syndicate or sorry, whether it's extreme couture or four to seven May, you gotta believe that uh, these guys know that their best way to win this fight is to um, take this fight to the to the ground. All right, let's move on to the co-main event. We got Kyung Yo Kong, Kyung Ho Kong versus uh, Hani Yaya. Um, intriguing matchmaking here. But even more intriguing line movement. It seems like there's some love coming in on Hari Yaya as fight week is progressing. We saw Kyung Ho Kong roughly around minus 145 for the majority of the week. But the line is slowly starting to tighten up here. And when this fight was originally announced, I was all over the Kong side. I'm like, I'm more than likely going to bet Kong. And he might even be a lock of the night play. But then when you start to run the tape again, you realize how much closer he makes these fights than they should be. And that concerns me a little bit here, especially with Hanayaya, who could make it a little bit more difficult for Kong, especially if uh, Kong decides to go out there and you know engage in the grappling where Hanayaya probably has his best chance to win the fight. I do think that Kong has the better uh, cardio, which will ultimately be the reason I think he ends up winning this fight. Uh, his grappling is good enough that he should be able to stay out of any grappling danger from Hanayaya early in this fight. And then as the fight starts to wear on, I think Kong will get 
will land takedowns and have success from top position and uh you know start raining down some shots i think he's going to be the much bigger fighter in this spot i think he'll be the stronger fighter in this spot and again i think he's very well versed in the grappling realm that he shouldn't be in too much danger danger should uh Haniyaya get this fight uh to the ground early now Haniyaya does that sergio marais type thing in terms of his striking where he just throws everything into his strikes no regard for being taken down because that's where he wants to fight ultimately so might as well throw some bungalows out there try to knock your opponent down try to get a club and sub or at least try to force a takedown out of them so he could be dangerous at times when he decides to do that but i think that kong will have the slightly better striking in this and again i think do think that his offensive wrestling and his uh submission defense should keep him out of bad spots and he could potentially get a third round finish in this fight i do think that his cardio is that much better than yaya's that he should be able to uh muster up a late finish should it reach there so kong to win in round three is plus 1625 which is crazy to me considering that yaya has the better uh round three odds or at least you know the more chances to hit plus 1100 for yaya to win in round three but i do think that kong uh cruises in this fight uh you know it's it's shitty that he isn't that active i know he has a bunch of like stuff that he was doing in korea and you know just having uh military obligations and all that type of stuff but i do think that he uh he is a solid talent it's kind of shitty that he's getting up there in age but i don't think he'll actually reach his full potential and even though he has a salty record of 17 and 8 he just started off his career in a pretty you know he started off his career six and five and then since then uh he's only lost three times and managed to put together words at three six nine nine wins ten wins so yeah i do like kong here um the line is getting mighty juicy especially considering that it's uh uh, minus 120 I would, man i'd be surprised if the line ended up as a pick or even as kang is the underdog um but yeah i think there's a possibility for a late kong finish but uh the over two and a half i've seen somebody talk about it in the comment section but i have seen other people talk about it over two and a half minus 155 not too bad of a spot i can see this being a grapple fest but i will take a little bit of a a little bit of a stab on Kong round three, just in case. But yeah, I do like Kong here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. And this is the main event coming up. And I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, let's bring this baby home. In event time, we got Sean Strickland, minus 190, his line coming down as well. And uh, we got Uriah Hall, plus 165 is the return on him now. Crazy to see the, the movement here. Sean Strickland, you know, uh, just on Tuesday was minus 220. Now he's up to minus 190. Uh, a lot of people, you know, buying into the Uriah Hall thing. And I truly believe people are leaving money on the table if you just don't bet Hall by KO at plus 325, plus 330 that I'm seeing at certain places. You know, Sean Strickland, very good minute winner, very good striker, good with volume, good with output. Um, you know, he should have a Hall covered pretty much everywhere in this spot. But Hall has that death touch, in my opinion, that could potentially change the course of the fight. You know, we've seen him pull off last-minute miracle finishes in the past. We've seen him kind of just pull wins out of his ass just because of his explosiveness and his power. And Sean Strickland's, you know, lack of striking defense at times definitely gives me some question marks. He does a decent job in terms of rolling with his strikes so that he's kind of able to take the brunt of his opponent's shots off of it. But 
Uriah Hall is just a beast when it comes to his striking and 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 not so sorry striking, but his 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 speed and his power, and that could definitely clip Sean Strickland in this spot. So that that's why I'm a little bit hesitant in terms of taking uh, Sean Strickland uh, outright, and a lot of people are thinking that he's going to be my lock of the night play as well. You know, he, he's definitely up there. But again, something about Hall, something in my gut is just giving me a bad feeling about this. Hall to win around one is plus 775. And then a Hall to win uh, by KO plus 195. Or sorry, plus 325. Hall by KO is the one that I would take if I was um, taking Hall to win this fight. But I'm not. I, I am taking Sean Strickland. I do think that he pieces him up for the majority of the fight. I think he starts to pick it up the later the fight goes. And I think he eventually breaks Uriah Hall and eventually finishes him later in this fight. Uh, I'm going to be poking Sean Strickland round three plus 1025. Sean Strickland round four plus 1625. Sean Strickland round five plus 2425. Uh, but... I do think that he ultimately wins the fight by decision, plus 335 for him. Oh, sorry, that's a unanimous decision. Uh, Strickland to win by decision is plus 215. Not too bad of a line there either. If you guys have access to those bookies that allow you to do round four, round five decision, I think somebody told me that I was like plus 145. I think that's a great spot as well. But uh, just, just for kicks, I'm definitely going to be taking some shots at those round props, but I do think he ultimately wins by decision. Again, not a good look when you see Hall losing minutes to 45-year-old, 44-year-old Anderson Silva, albeit Hall goes out there and ends up getting the finish uh, a couple rounds later. But now you're giving me Sean Strickland, who's in the peak of his uh, a career, it looks like, having you know career-type performances, career-best performances, and you know level of competition-wise, Uriah Hall is probably up there, if not the best guy that uh, Sean Strickland has to go up against, at least since he fought but Dos Santos, Kamaru Usman, early Kamaru Usman, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I think uh, Strickland cruises here. The the chance of Uriah Hall landing the knockout is a little bit too much of a concern for me to ultimately you know part ways with my money for him as my lock of the night play. But I do think that Strickland wins this fight at a pretty high clip, and I think he wins by decision. But I do think that taking some shots on him to win later in this fight is definitely worth a shot too. Uh, but yeah, I, I like Strickland here. I'm going to take him to win this fight by decision. All right. That's pretty much a wrap on here. I'll stick around for about five more minutes if anybody has any questions that you guys want me to answer. Now was your time to do so. Um Again, bummed that I'm uh, a little bit late this week in terms of the content. Still got to get it out for you guys. No issues. Uh, I have uh, tomorrow. I got a couple things. I'm going to be doing. Uh, I think they're they're called the the parlay perfectionists or something. Uh, hold on, let me just pull up their Instagram real quick. But I am making an appearance on podcast tomorrow. I don't think it's going to be live. Uh, par PPP certified, certified perfect parlay pursuit. Those are the guys that I'm going to be uh, linking up with tomorrow. So as soon as the weigh-ins are done, I'm going to be going on their podcast again. I'm not sure if it's a live podcast, but uh, I'll be on with them. Uh, then I'll be going on with Z for Fair Play Podcast. I'll be going on to his podcast, I believe, around 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. And then obviously I have my own uh, ultimate weigh-in show that's going to be going down tomorrow. 
Um, uh, and my guests are going to be Clint, Lucrative MMA, and then my guy, John Stargarian from the Club and Sub podcast. So make sure you guys stop by for that. And obviously, check out Z's Fair Play podcast as well. I believe his show is going to be kicking off around 6 o'clock. I see him in the comment section here. So maybe he can let me know exactly when his show is kicking off. But yeah full lineup of uh, content for you guys to consume tomorrow and also if i do find some time uh in between uh z's podcast and the the other appearance that i'm doing i'll do a uh a, i'll try to do a quick bellator stream for you guys uh but no promises on that side either okay saying so you're giving free locks this week um yeah again uh just for those of you that are not familiar with my um my policy that i kind of follow uh, if i'm on a three event winning streak or longer then i keep my picks behind my patreon paywall if i'm not on a three event winning streak or you know uh, anything less than that um i give away my picks for free but they're gonna be uh they they release on friday uh so i post them as soon as i make them on my patreon page but then i wait until uh friday evening to release them to the public but since you guys are here on a early friday morning for you for me for you guys uh, i'll quickly drop them uh my dog of the night play one unit under two and a half in the half a garcia fight with chris Grutier, uh chris gritzmarker and then my lock of the night play i went five units deep on montano uh at minus 230 as i do think that in my opinion i i feel she's the safest spot on this card tofik chaudhry wants a th best three fight parlay you know, again, as many question marks as I threw out there. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, I'll go. Uh, fuck. <laughs> Obviously, Montano. I'm going to go Montano. Uh, I'm going to go Garcia. And I'm going to go Baez. I was going to throw Barbarina in there. But I feel a little bit better about Baez than I do with Barbarina. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Garcia, Montano, buys. Um, Tristan Sherhouse is saying prediction for McKee versus Pipple. Lean is McKee, but I'm going to run the tape tomorrow, and I'll give you guys a better idea tomorrow. Um, again, McKee, very, very minimal lean. Like This is a huge step up for him, in my opinion. Uh, for sure. CG Hustle, Barbarina Garcia, Montano. I'm assuming you meant Montano. Parley, I don't mind that. Tofik is saying Usman Ramagamedov is a lot for Belter for sure. But I'd get fucking scar, scar, or scorched by everybody if I uh, dropped a minus 1200 straight for you guys. <laughs> um. Again, PG asking about Pitbull versus AJ. Lean is AJ, but again, very, very um, low confidence there. Who's um, amazing? That's the kind of card it is. Buys is a relatively solid spot. Yikes, you're right. It is. French Jordan saying, Lock, good to see you. I was wondering where you were. Yeah. Again, been, a, been an interesting week, but uh, glad to, to get some content out for you guys. All right, I'm going to hop off. I'm going to jump on and do the uh, best bets and props article for the Patreon members. Uh, that should be posted in the next hour, hour and a half or so.
And then, uh, yeah, tomorrow, Ultimate Wayne Show, going to be jumping on the Fair Play Podcast with Z around 6. Another podcast I'll be doing around 2 o'clock as well. As soon as the uh, the uh, uh, the weigh-ins. And then, uh, yeah, I got something cool to announce tomorrow as well. Uh, I'm going to drop that news on Z's podcast. So make sure you guys uh, tune in for Z's show as well. Uh, you guys will get some very interesting news about Saturday. Uh, so I can't wait to drop that for you guys. But, yeah, uh, appreciate everybody dropping by again 2 a.m. on a Friday morning. Uh, 120 live members. You guys are awesome. Make sure you guys hit that like uh, on the way out to show your boys some support. And uh, for everybody listening on the audio version as well, appreciate you guys checking out the show. Apologies for the lateness of it and the fact that it's not the usual pre-recorded show. We will go back to normal uh, regularly scheduled viewing uh, next uh, next week for the big UFC 265 card. All right, I'm out of here. Appreciate you guys joining me as always. I will see you guys tomorrow for the Ultimate Weigh-In Show, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on this channel. Peace out, guys. Good luck on your bets this weekend.